0: we're glad you're here today we're going to look at the end of chapter 11 if you've got those little mark journals get them out end of chapter 11 and all through the book of uh, the 12th chapter and when we look at this passage really this passage is about uh jesus against everybody everybody takes exception to jesus everybody is arguing with jesus it's jesus is against every every everybody have you ever had have you ever felt like everybody is against you Maybe you're the only Christian at your workplace. That's hard. Maybe you feel if you, our students feel like they're the only Christian in their high school. That's hard. Or maybe when you become a Christian and the rest of your family is not Christian, sometimes that can be hard. Sometimes you might feel hey, you know everybody's against me. Well, you're in good company. Everybody, everybody was against Jesus. I mean, they were all upset, and that's what we're going to see. Chapter the end of chapter eleven through the book of, of, of chapter 12 we're gonna see how all these people all these people are totally against Jesus the first up I think we almost have to have like we, we need to have like that boxing announcer we used it a few weeks ago but the first up would 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 come like this I think I think we heard in there, let's get ready to rumble. It seems like we came in a little late. We should have the announcer say, let's get ready to rumble, cause Jesus is gonna rumble. Who's he gonna rumble with? In the first passage, it says, as he was walking into the temple, the chief priest describes the elders came to him. And this is, think of it as, as the church board, all the Sunday school teachers and the pastors, they all, they all come to Jesus. They're ganging up on Jesus. They are not happy. What are they not happy? They're, Jesus, do you know what you did yesterday in the temple? Do you know how long it took our facility crew to clean up this temple? Do you know our facility here is awesome. They work so hard. They work so hard. This place was a wreck yesterday morning. And it was, you know, and it looks halfway decent, even with my Harley. It looks, you know, it's it's hard. Jesus, do you know what mess you made in the temple yesterday? I can't believe it. They're really questioning Jesus' authority. And And he puts them into place. And then we get into chapter 12, and he tells a story. And the story is not very subtle, really. It's pretty simple. A guy plants a vineyard, and, and it's an awesome vineyard. It has a fence built around it. It has a wine press. It has a tower. And there's tenants. There's tenants that run the joint. And these bigwigs in, in the temple, they all knew exactly who Jesus is talking about. Again, this is not subtle to them. Always, always, always the owner, that's God. And the the Israel is the vineyard. And the tenants are them. This isn't shocking or surprising to them. And so the harvest comes in Jesus' story. And the owner, God, sends some servants. Again, it wasn't hard to figure out who the servants were. The prophets in the Old Testament send some servants. And what do the tenants do? Well, these priests scribes, elders, what do they do? Well, they beat the first one. They beat the second one. They killed the third one. He sent more. They beat some of them. And then he sent some more and they killed some of them. And finally, 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 the owner sends his son. And what do the tenants do? They killed them. And then Jesus quotes the 119th Psalm. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone." This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. You know the scribes and the priests and the and the elders there at the temple. Their mind they knew exactly who Jesus was talking. Jesus is the cornerstone. We sometimes sing that song. Jesus is our cornerstone. They knew exactly who Jesus was talking about that Jesus came and he would be rejected and beaten and killed and that God would lift him to the highest place. Jesus is our cornerstone. They all knew Jesus is talking about them. Jesus is talking about himself. We got to get rid of Jesus. But they couldn't do it because the crowds were still all excited about Jesus. So the scribes, elders, chief priests struck out. Next up, let's get ready to- we go that was better than the first time let's get ready next up is the Herodians and the Pharisees I cannot emphasize enough how opposed the Herodians and the Pharisees were to each other they hated each other oh they hated each other The, the the Pharisees were kind of the purity police they were the ones that were trying to do everything 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 by the book by the law exactly right they hated the Romans the Romans were the occupying army they hated them and the Herodians They were the secularists, you know, eat, drink, be merry. They'd do whatever they want to do. And they were in cahoots with the Romans. So they hated each other. But Jesus is a way of bringing people together, even people that hate his guts. And so the Herodians and the Pharisees came together and were all upset. And they offered a, a trap question to Jesus about taxes. And really what they're wanting Jesus to to say, they want him to say, you know, if if Jesus says, no, you shouldn't pay your taxes, then they knew that the Romans would be really, really mad. And if Jesus says, no, you should pay your taxes, like all of you and me, then we would be mad. So Jesus answered, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. I have found that most folks render to Caesar what is owed to Caesar. Most folks pay their taxes, most folks I know anyway, I know a few folks, you know, they treat on their taxes, but most folks, they pay their taxes, like I just did, they complain about their taxes, but most folks, you know, most folks pay their taxes. The rendering to God part, that's what gives some folks some troubles. Listen, this isn't isn't a tithing sermon per se. And and like Doc just said, you know, you've been doing great through this pandemic time. You really have, praise the Lord. But how are you rendering to God the things that are God's? How are you doing with that? The point Jesus was making is: Are we coming at Him with our our tight fists, or are we coming to God with our open arms? That was Jesus' question. So, well, you know, just as as with the elders and the chief priests, <laughs> not yet, fellas. <laughs> Uh, you know, just as they struck out, then, then nah, next up is the Sadducees. Let's get ready to rumble! Yeah, those guys. There we go. Oh my. You guys are awesome up there, and I'm not going to say one bad thing, because you're Awesome. So the next ones to go toe-to-toe with Jesus are the Sadducees. And if you know any, this is the first time the Sadducees are brought up in the book of Mark. Up until now, we've never heard of these guys in in Mark. But here they come for the first time. The Sadducees were the elite. The Sadducees were kind of the, 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 the rich. The Sadducees were the upper class. The Sadducees only believed in the first five books, the Torah. The Sadducees, sometimes it's easy to remember. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. And so some would say that's why they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. They are sad, you see. And, and so, so they thought, you know, once you're dead, you're dead. That's their whole whole deal. So they come to Jesus. Again, you know, the, the, the uh, elders, the chief priests, the scribes, they struck out. And the Herodians and the Pharisees, they struck out. And now it's time for the Sadducees. So the Sadducees get up and they offer this crazy wild story about, about a, a woman who had been married seven times. She'd been married to seven brothers. They all died. She didn't have any kids. And they come to Jesus and say, say, Jesus, you know, who's gonna be who's who's gonna be her husband in, in heaven? Now I know this about this story. If I'm brother number seven, there is no probably if I'm brother number six, five, four, or three. You know, if all of these women or all these brothers are dying, you know, I'm not marrying that woman. She's a black widow. I'd be away from her a million miles. So it's a dumb story, but that's what come, you know, all right, all right, Jesus, Who, who's going to be her husband in heaven? And Jesus says in verses 24 and 26, you know, neither scriptures nor the power of God. You guys are idiots which would not have been taken all that well. And then he says, have you not read the book of Moses? That's all they did was read the book of Moses. Remember, I told you they only believed in the first five books. Have you not read the book of Moses? And then Jesus quotes from uh, 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 Exodus 3. And basically says, boys, you know nothing at all about heaven. So Jesus has answered the questions about the authority of the temple and and answered questions about and answered questions about the resurrection and finally 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 a guy comes up to Jesus who kind of gets Jesus and and crazy enough it's a scribe this is what Mark says in verse 28 and one of the scribes came up to them heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he Jesus seeing that Jesus answered them well good job Jesus and so he asked him which commandment is the most important of all that's a big question right I mean all these other attempts were to trap Jesus or to catch Jesus or to make Jesus you know say something wrong but this guy he he really asked a legitimate question Jesus there are 613 commands in the Old Testament which one is the most important What, what, what do you think Jesus which, which, which one, the, the Greek word there is mega. Sometimes we use mega. We, we got a couple of Coney Islands called mega around here. Mega means uh, uh, largest, highest, biggest. In this sense, it probably means loudest. Jesus, which commandment do I need to hear? All 613, which one is the most important? Which one do I really need to hear, Jesus? And Jesus begins by quoting the, 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 Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And everybody would have said, yeah, that's right, Jesus, amen, amen, amen. And then he goes on to say this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. I like the way the message version reads this most important commandment. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your passion, with all your prayer, with all your intelligence, and with all your energy. You've heard people say, Oh, my passion is this or that, whatever. My passion is sports, my passion is cars, my passion is is horses, my passion is, you know, blah, blah, blah. Can I tell you? I want my passion to be God Almighty. I want all my prayer, all my devotion, all my strength, all my power, all my energy, all my whatever, I want it all, all, all to be glorifying God Almighty. I think Jesus' point here is, is love God as hard as you can with everything you've got. Let me repeat that love God as hard as you can with everything you've got when I think of people who have loved God as hard as they could with everything they have with with all of their passion and prayer and intelligence and energy when I think of those people you think well okay that's the Mother Teresa's of the world that's the Billy Graham's of the world that's the that's the Martin Luther King Junior's of the world that's that's those people and that's not me <laughs> no 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 that's not me I'm not so sure uh, you might not get the notoriety of, of some people but I think everyday ordinary people like you and me can give God all of our passion all of our prayer all of our intelligence all of our energy I think people like you and me can love God with everything we've got as hard as we can with everything we got it's like my friend Don Stroud Don Stroud is in heaven these days but when I went to pastor in Bad Axe, Don Stroud was on the church board. In fact, I remember I met Don, I can tell you the exact day that I met Don Stroud. It was November 22nd, 1989. I know it's that day because it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And so, so we were there, Carla and I were there to interview, uh, to go to be the pastor at the Bad Axe Church of the Nazarene. And so we went there, it was Wednesday night, and we interviewed, and everything went great, great, great. It was wonderful. And I'll never forget that day, we got back in the car... And I looked over at Carla. You know, the interview couldn't have gone better. And I looked over at Carla, and she's crying. And I said, Carla, everything went great, you know? The people were nice, and everything went great. There were some crazy stories that happened that night. I don't have time to tell you, but believe me, it was... A guy took... There was a bat in the basement during our interview, and a guy, one of the board members, Clarence, he picked up his Bible and smacked the bat. I said, man, this is my kind of church. I want to come here. So anyway... All that happened during the interview, and I look over at Carla. She's bawling, I'm not because she's you know she wasn't a PETA advocate at that point, you know. She just was crying, and I said, "Carla, everything went great except for the poor bat. Everything went great. Why are you crying?" She goes, "I know everything went great, and I know the Lord wants us here, but I hate the carpet in the parsonage." <laughs> she was right. That carpet was horrible, but that church was great. And the reason it was great in large part was because of a guy named Don Stroud. My friend Don, he loved the Lord as hard as he could with everything he had. He worked a job. He was a farmhand. Farmhands don't make a lot of money. That was Don's job, and so he would work hard. I mean, he worked hard every day, long hours every day. Sunday morning, he'd get up really early, go milk the cows, do whatever had to be done, come to church. Sometimes he'd fall asleep in the back pew. That's okay. Don said he was one of those guys on the board. He was the guy. He was the guy on the board. When Don spoke, everybody listened. Why? Because they knew Don. Don loved the, the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Don served on the board, and he was a Sunday school teacher. He was one of those. He was one of those go-to guys. Whenever anything needed to be done in the church, I went to Don. I said, Don, this is what we got to do. After I left, Don was called into the ministry, and and he went on to pastor uh, the Philian Church of the Nazarene. He pastored there for 24 years before he passed away a couple years ago from cancer. And Don, it's not surprising that God called him because Don was just such a wonderful servant and he gave God everything he got. Did it as hard as he could. You don't have to be Mother Teresa. You don't have to be Billy Graham. Be Don Stroud. Give God everything you've got. Work for him as hard as you can. Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, strength. Jesus said, that's number one. And then he said, and the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than that. (sighs) Love God, love your neighbor. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself in the middle of a pandemic? Just who is my neighbor? That was the question of the dude in in Luke 10, remember? He came to you, Jesus, who's my neighbor? If this is the second greatest commandment, love God, number one, love your neighbor, number two, then it makes sense that we're going to understand who our neighbor is and that we're going to do it. Carla and I live on... uh, at Court in Grand Blank. we found that house when we were looking for a house because Bob Donaldson had done some work for the previous owner a very nice lady named Betty Smith and and he knew that she was going to move to New Mexico and and so he told us about it and so we met Pat and uh, she wasn't really a church-going lady although she came she came to church a couple times before she she moved to, to New Mexico and so we met her and we met her sister her her sister came from pennsylvania to help her move she also was a very nice lady in fact it was really strange when we we got there i don't remember even why we were there but we were there when they were packing up and stuff and we got to talking to her sister her sister again pat wasn't really a church going lady her sister had gone to college and met a guy and got married and the, the the marriage didn't last very long and uh they got divorced and she was talking about it well her, her, her ex-husband became a Nazarene pastor. And I knew the guy. I didn't know him, know him. I knew, I knew of him, and I, and I had some friends that he was their pastor. I wanted to sing, you know, with Mickey Mouse. It's a small world after all. It was just crazy. So we, 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 we bought Pat's house on Walia Court, and our neighbors over here that's Tony and Courtney and our neighbors over here that's Matt and Jackie and I'm pretty sure they didn't take a vote if we could move in to a Court or not um and you know we didn't vote for them to be our neighbors we we're kind of stuck with each other they're our neighbors because we bought that house and Courtney and Tony live over there and Matt and Jackie live over there and and we are are kind of forced to to be neighbors listen in, in the Old Testament the neighbors were your fellow Jews that's who your neighbor was. Your neighbors weren't the Canaanites. They weren't the, the Moabites. They weren't the, the uh, you know, the, the Philistines for crying out loud. No, those are your enemies. Your neighbors are the folks that live around you. But, but then Jesus came along. And remember that guy in Luke 10? Jesus, who, who in the world is my neighbor? And Jesus says, well, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And the point of the Good Samaritan story is, you know what, even your enemies are your neighbor. Even the dirty, rotten, stinking Samaritans are your neighbor. And, and so just like, like Tony and Courtney and Matt and Jackie didn't get to vote on Carl and I becoming their neighbor, we don't get to vote who our neighbor is. Because Jesus said, everybody's your neighbor. Even the dirty, rotten, stinking, stinking Samaritans. Even our enemies are neighbors. So, so who's my neighbor? Everybody who looks like you and everybody who doesn't, who, who's my neighbor? Everybody who votes like you and everybody who doesn't. Who's my neighbor? Everybody who worships like you and everybody who doesn't. Who's my neighbor? Everybody who thinks like you and everybody who doesn't. Oh my goodness, so if you really get to get down to the nuts and bolts of this, this means even Ohio State Buckeyes are my neighbors. It means that Democrats and Republicans are my neighbors. It means that black folks and white folks are my neighbors. It means that straight people and gay people are my neighbors. It means that everybody, everybody and Jesus says not only are they your neighbors but you've got to love them doesn't say you have to agree with them doesn't have to say you have to agree with their, their lifestyle doesn't say you have to agree with their, 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 their positions but it says we've got to love them I saw this on the internet this week I thought I'd show you the picture of this house you can't really really see it Think, look at those neighbors the one guy if they're in a duplex and they both love America they've got American flags oops the picture's gone they both love America and and they have American flags but one has a Trump sign you can't really see it but in the door of the other one it's a Black Lives Matter banner. I, you know, it seems like they have pretty opposite positions in that duplex. But if they're following Jesus they're going to they're going to they're going to love one another. I've told this story. I don't know if I've told this story to you before. I tried to look back. I always look back to see if I've told you stories, and sometimes I tell you stories that I don't put in my sermon, and so then I don't know. So if I told this story, forgive me. When I was growing up, the people that lived behind us, the Carlisles, they were terrible neighbors. I mean they were loud, they were obnoxious. They cussed, they drank beer, they threw their garbage in our backyard. They had mean German shepherds, always a German shepherd, always mean. If we were playing ball and the ball went into their yard, we didn't go in it, doggies got a new ball because I wasn't messing around with those German shepherds. I didn't like those people. And we had a nice backyard, you know? My mom had flowers and my dad made sure the lawn was perfect, you know? America Park had nothing on our lawn my dad made sure it was perfect you had to have the lines going which way and they throw their trash in our yard they they did it all the time and you know what my dad did oh man everything had to be perfect in our backyard you know what my dad did they throw trash in our backyard you know what my dad did he didn't call the police he didn't throw the trash back in their yard. He didn't yell at them over the fence and say, hey, your trash is in our yard. This is what my dad did. He'd go in our house. He'd say, Carol, it's my mom. You need to make some cookies. And my mom would. Make her chocolate chip cookies, put them on a nice plate, which we never got back. And my dad would go over to Mrs. Carlisle. Mrs. Carlisle, my wife, was making some cookies. She made some extras. Thought you and your family would like them. Never mentioned the trash in her backyard. Never mentioned those terrible dogs. Never mentioned how they'd cuss and throw their beer cans in our yard. Just took her cookies. Listen, if the world's gonna be changed, it's gonna be changed as you and me love even our enemies. It's gonna change when you and me look at people as our neighbor. It's gonna be changed when you and I respond in love when they throw trash in your yard, when they spew hate, when they put things on Facebook that you disagree with, our response, if we're following the second commandment, to love our neighbor as ourselves, is to respond in love. And if at the end of the conversation or at the end of the Facebook post, if the other person thinks... Our goal, let me put it this way, our goal is not for them to think, oh boy, they finally got my point. Oh, I really, they know that I'm really ticked off. Ah, they know that that really upset me, now I got them. That's not the point. When we leave a conversation, when we log off Facebook, the point should be, they know that I love them. That's what loving your neighbor means. Anything less than that, If they go away thinking less than that then you've missed the point my brothers and sisters we in the church have gotten it we've gotten a bad rap and some of it has been brought on by ourselves there are people plenty of people that think that church folks hate them because of their lifestyle because of their choices because of whatever Jesus told us to love our neighbors. You gave us us two big commands. To love you as hard as we can with everything we got. And to love our neighbors. Sometimes we get the first one right. We try our best. But sometimes we fall short on the second one. Lord, if we've got some neighbors, if we've got some folks that we've encountered in person online that have left saying, I don't know about that person, but that person doesn't love me. That's for sure. I know where they stand politically. I know where they stand socially, but they don't love me. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us and help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus name. Amen.